Welcome back. This is Travis Roeder here with Jeff Davis for the TD Podcast. Another day, another day closer to the season starting. I I feel like I'm not crawling towards the finish line here or crawling towards the starting line, I guess we should say, Jeff. But like, I'm just kind of like really keeping the, my foot on the gas pedal full bore and wondering how long I can keep this uh, high football energy going. And then we have the whole season into it, too. So I'm curious if I'm going to crash and burn here. I still think you've got the right idea, right idea and how you've been uh, slow burning up to it as opposed to kind of running in on fire like I have been. Yeah, I used to do that really badly with uh, NFL stuff where I would get to about like right now because I, I would have spent all of June and July prepping. And then you get like your first week of preseason games and you kind of get the first week and the third are the only weeks that kind of really matter because you, you get you get a larger idea of depth and a few other things. But, you know, like getting to that first game and then going or that first preseason game and then going. I got three weeks left and nothing to do. And it just, yeah, and like this is kind of the burnout. So it's actually been kind of nice because I haven't felt that yet. Like there's definitely still a, I'm really excited about football and haven't felt that feeling of being burned out yet, but I'm sure it's going to be coming at some point in the next three weeks. Yeah. I'm, you know, we've got a few more position groups to, um, to get through here, but I'm really excited for that final kind of penultimate episode uh, where we talk about Baylor's overall season and progress. And, and I'm hoping to talk with you about Big 12 stuff, too, because I know you have thoughts on other Big 12 schools. And the Big 12, you know, we don't have to get in deep really at all here. But I, I just think this – I mean, we say it every year, but and maybe, you know, maybe I'm kind of diving in too deep or, or circling it on myself here. But I just feel like the league is going to be an absolute firecracker this year. I mean, 1 to 10, basically. Or maybe not 1 to 10 exactly, but 1 through 8 or 9, perhaps. Like, just teams just – going at it yeah it's going to be a great season i i i I do think this is going to be the most interesting big 12 season probably since it went to 10 i think that's i think i think that's 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 my that's my guess on it okay so today we are getting in on the passing game offensive passing game uh we're going to be talking about you know blake shapin and the quarterbacks you know the tight ends in the passing game running backs in the passing game wide receivers in the passing game you know essentially the whole the whole shebang there we we hit the running game a couple weeks ago this is a big topic there's a lot of meat on the on the bone for us to get at here so i think um you know before we really dive into what it's going to look like this year it's worth recapping the 2021 passing game you know jeff you and i were I would say you and I were higher than most on Baylor entering last year, but of course we didn't expect them to be as good as they ended up being. And really, I think the main reason they were better than we figured they would be is that Gary Bohannon was all around a better quarterback than we figured he would be. But especially in the first half of the year, he was able to execute the very basic plays of the offense, the boot game, you know, the field rails, the, um, you know, the deep field outs and hitches, you know, the basic slants, all that kind of stuff he was able to really hit, which took the pressure off the run game. And that's really what Baylor's passing game was in 2021, right? It was a bunch of kind of base concept stuff, nothing really beyond that. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a great description of it overall. You know, they they tried to layer on a few things and they did what what old football coaches refer to as kind of series football in their passing game. And what that kind of means is you don't always call an individual play uh, 
in an, in an abstract, you know, by itself, like you call a play and a passing play as part of a series of plays to try to put as much stress as possible on the defense about like, do you need to chase this ghost action? Do I need to chase this wide receiver to this specific area? A bunch of those kind of things. And they tried to, they did not do a lot of just traditional dropback um, at all last year for several reasons. But they did that, that. That was really a big part of their game. I think was it was rollouts. It was um, basically everything you said. You know, it's rollouts. It's stuff on the rail. Um, when they had to have something, they usually do. They would usually go at. Um, they would look at the coverage and say, "Is the middle is the middle of the field open?" Um, and a good example of that would be against Texas. And so, like on that fourth and sixth play, when they were down twenty one ten, and they had to have it, they. Uh, they got an ISO for uh, Taekwon and Taekwon ran a skinny post and caught it in and, you know, they were able to convert on a fourth and six. When the middle of the field was closed, they did the same thing. They would single him up and then they would either go deep or they would try to run a field out. Um, that was th- the that was the extent of the drawback passing game for the most part last year. And uh, it's it really was it really was built almost entirely off the fact that Taekwon was good enough to be able to either command um, a safety capped over the top, which opened up stuff elsewhere, or they would leave him one-on-one, and he typically was able to win that matchup against whoever he needed to. The question usually was, can the offensive line hold up, and can GB get deliver that ball to him? Yeah, I think it's worth going over why Baylor didn't execute or call a lot of drop-back passing last year. You know, A, that was one of, you know, God, I love Aranda. I love that he's so... Um, I love that he's so open in his press conferences and he talked about when he hired Grimes, he was like, look, drop back passing is the hardest thing to do in college football right now. This offense is not going to do a lot of drop back passing. Um, So a it's schematically, he feels like it's a tough ask in college football, you know, B Baylor's offensive line. It it really allowed them to kind of go all in on the run game because when the vast majority of your, of your passing game comes off run action, whether it's either play action or boot game, that you know that's the same con that's the same run concept for an offensive lineman essentially except for maybe a backside tag for the tackle or something like that um but and then uh, finally obviously as we learned towards the end of the year gary was just not a guy that you felt comfortable on third and seven just executing drop back game um unless it was very clear like you were saying like find the middle of the field if this guy's in this spot you're going to throw the slant to this spot but it was never like look to the field, see what this guy's doing, come back to the boundary and then do a levels concept or something, you know, not, not basically none of that. And that is, I think really where you're going to see the biggest change um, heading into this year, which I think is a good transition for us to talk about shaping. You know, I I think one of the most helpful and elucidating plays of the spring game was the fact that they called the same play for Gary and shapen on two third and longs. Um, or maybe it wasn't a third and long, but you know, either way, they, it was they called the same play for him. A passing was, down situation. Yeah, yeah, it was a passing down situation where you know they basically had trips to the field and they looked to hit. Um, I, I don't know what you would call it. It, it wasn't a dig. It's kind of like you know the sit down post from the inside receiver, um, where you know the the inside receivers running towards the post and sits down in between the coverage behind the linebackers in, in front of the safety. You know, Shapin expertly threw a ball right over the linebacker's head for Seth Jones, and Gary airmailed it for what should have been an interception. And I think those kind of throws, those kind of like pure drop back game, ask him to to read the field, make the throw into into a tight window is is really one of the biggest differences you're going to see at quarterback this year. Yeah, I I think that that's accurate. Um, I one thing that I'll also point out that was not 
GB's fault from last year that I think will improve um, is interior offensive line play. And I, this goes to drop back as well, which is that when you're executing a drop back, you really need to have a very good pocket. Baylor had really good tackle play last year, but didn't always have great interior line play, particularly on uh, pass, pass protection. And so Gary got really, unfortunately, got really used to having people at his feet. And that really messes with the quarterback's flow and thought process because if you can't step into the throw it really it really is like baseball in terms of you're stepping into it you've got to have your toe pointed where you want to go you need to be able to like bring your like your hips are weeding the throw all the way through your arms really like a secondary action that's being driven off your hips on the rotation um you know those are all things that if you are not an elite thrower which gb is not you really need you need that pocket space to be able to execute well and as they got further into the year um they just weren't that wasn't able to hold up and so i think that really got into his head a little bit and, and plays that he was able to hit earlier in the year he definitely wasn't later in the year and i think you're that that play is very emblematic i actually remember that play that you're talking about um uh, from the spring game because it just it seemed like he was never able to kind of get back to where he was like the Iowa State game, and I don't really know why. Um, but outside of that, you know, we, we wish him luck. Not talk about him forever. But I, I do – you were right on that. Like, Shapin, Shapin has shown, I think, there's three balls that quarterbacks need to be able to hit sig- on, on a regular basis, one of which is that field out that uh, GB was able to do. But the throw that GB never showed that he had in the bag very well – was I always think of it as the Peyton Manning throw, but it's the I've got a vertical route from an interior player and I've got to get it over the first line of zone defenders, but under the second line of zone defenders. Um, Peyton Manning was a genius at that throw and it's a very difficult throw, but it's a throw that particularly with the tight ends that Baylor has on the roster, if 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 he can hit that, and by he I mean Blake, if Blake can consistently hit that and allow Dabney to high point balls when he's like doubled or be able to get that, you know, feel comfortable reading the interior of the of the defense and, and driving that ball in there when he needs to, um, that dramatically changes the entire defense. I mean, it really does. Because if you can reliably hit those throws in front of you, then it makes everything much simpler for what the wide receivers need to do like what what are the games that you need from them what is this what is the skill set you need from the wide receivers it makes it a lot more palatable for the young guys to be able to really show out because they only have to really excel at a couple of things instead of setting up the rest of the offense so that that secondary throw that I'm, that I'm going back to, like that kind of lofted throw between the two uh, defensive levels, we have seen – I've seen GB try to throw that, and he has not been able. We have seen Blake make that throw repeatedly. And so that that's the throw that I am most interested in with the current talent on the roster, like being able to see that play consistently and be able to hit tight ends in the middle of the field consistently this year, I think is going to dramatically change what the offense looks like in 2022. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, we're, and we're really going to get into that. We'll, we'll get into the tight ends next. Um, but before we get there, I want to just kind of quickly go over, what are your perceptions of what Blake's strengths and weaknesses are as a quarterback? Um, so I, strengths to me would be uh, confidence. And I mean that sincerely. He has the confidence to make throws that when you're a quarterback, you really you really can't think about the play. I mean, it has to be – Tom Brady described it one time as this, that 
someone asked him how he thinks through all, all the process. And he just was kind of like, yeah, I don't think when I play, like all of my thinking and my repetition comes in the off season. When I'm out there, he's like, it just feels right. And I pull the trigger. And he said, oftentimes I could feel my arm moving before my brain snaps into that's where the ball needs to go. Like he could feel his arm, his body already starting the motion. Um, what Blake what Blake seems to be able to do really, really well, two things are he seems to be able to throw off platform really well. That is something that basically every baseball player that plays middle infield can do well because you're throwing, you know, you're throwing off balance. You're like, you know, you're barehanding a ball, you're falling backwards, you're doing all this stuff. You get really used to rotating your hips and then using your arm as your elbow and arm as that kind of weaver motion on the throw from all sorts of odd angles. That really helps quarterback play. Um, and that, and then his 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 confidence and his ability to get the ball into a spot. Um, the downsides, and I will say on his arm strength, I think his arm strength is good. And I, I like it's not special, it's not bad. I think it's just kind of solidly good. He kind of reminds me of. Um, I, I actually can't. Sean Bell is actually like the closest comp I can <laughs> Baylor comp I can think of in a while because he doesn't have the. He has a better arm than. Um, Oh, Lord. The 2020-12 QB. Why can't I remember his name? Oh, Florence. Florence, thank you. He's got a better arm than uh, Nick Florence, but he doesn't have anything close to the arm of the rest of the wide receivers, that, uh, excuse me, the rest of the quarterbacks that Baylor had under um, Art. And he's got a better arm than Charlie Brewer, but he doesn't have, like, a cannon. And so it's just, like, a good arm. It's, it's really kind of hard to describe him. It's Baylor's either had these massive arm talent people or these guys that are just – kind of floating the ball in and he's just a normal good arm um the downsides though to him i think the two are the first is his footwork um and honestly like i we have seen it in some of the clips from practice right now like i don't know i i you know i don't know if it's just practice i don't know what it is but his footwork is slow and it's not it, it doesn't his feet are not tied to his hips in a way that i would expect now he can get away with that against lesser you know against teams that aren't as talented and he can get away with some of those throws where he can just rely on his natural throwing ability to do that it's not it's going to make him more inconsistent like he's gonna throw some bad balls um and that's also related to his confidence thing which means he's gonna throw a couple of bad balls a game i mean i just it, it seems like he reminds me a little bit of daniel jones uh from the giants which is like daniel jones is actually like a better quarterback than people think he is but he's got like these two plays a game where he's like this is a bad decision. I cannot wait to make it. And <laughs> I, that that seems like something that Shapin is going to have. There's going to be like one play a half where we're like, we're going to be waiting for it. He's going to make it. Hopefully it's a drop pick or he like misreads or he throws it into somebody's butt or something like he's just going to be filled with confidence and he's going to make the bad play. And hopefully it doesn't, you know, it doesn't impact the team too much. Um, that's, that is what I would be concerned about if I was him. And then the other one that I'll say is a bit of a negative, but um, you know, we just don't know yet. Is he's he's historically been pretty injury prone. He had injury issues in high school. He also had injury issues last year. Um, it's he's going to have to learn that he can't take a hit in college. Like he can't go down and lower his shoulder into somebody no. right now. Like, he yeah. just he cannot do that. I know he's bigger this year, but he's we're going to see a lot of drones this year if he decides he wants to play that game. So he's got to learn how to kind of control himself a little better when he's on the field. I don't mean emotionally, but just knowing like there's going to be times when he needs to go for it. There's a lot of times where he's going to need to slide and just eat the three yards he could have had. Um, so it's a lot of, it's a lot of that kind of work. Hopefully that's stuff that will, he'll be able to grow out of by like November, but we'll see. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think as far as strengths for me, when I, I think you covered, you know, I think strengths and weaknesses wise, you covered pretty much everything. Um, a few things I wanted to bring up. I think he has a really good sense of how to attack zone coverage, um, not just from a um, cerebral aspect, but that kind of innate sense of like the, the flow of the linebackers, the flow of the safeties, like how he can fit a ball into a tight window. Uh, we saw some of that in the spring game and we saw some of that in um, when he played last year. It just seems like he has a good sense of, of where the window is going to be and where the ball needs to be. Um, and as far as weaknesses, I think, I think the footwork issue is especially pronounced. And I think this ties into hopefully the interior offensive line play being better this year, because I think like a lot of quarterbacks, when he gets, uh, you know, when he has to move in the pocket, if he rolls out and just gets to execute a pure rollout throw, like, you know, there's really not a lot of mechanics to that. It's just a pure, it's just a pure run and throw, right? You're not thinking a lot. What worries me is if a guy is at his feet and he has to, and he sees a guy open 35 yards downfield and tries to pull the trigger, can he get his feet in a position to where that throw can be made with pace and accurately? Um, Because those are the time, those are the type of balls that can become picks. I mean, he had the, the throw in the spring game where a guy was at his feet. They were in the kind of mid red zone. I think they're at the 15 or 20 yard line and they took a shot to Dabney and he underthrew the ball by about three yards uh, because somebody was at his feet. And so he kind of threw it and just kind of af- not necessarily off his back foot, but just not really stepping into the throw. Um, and it was a throw that, you know, should have been a relatively easy touchdown if the ball is kind of put in the right spot and with pace, but it lofted back on him a little bit because he was throwing, you know, with his feet not set under him. So those are kind of the main questions for me is I know he's going to be really good on all the base offense stuff that we used last year. You know, if they just ask him to throw the go ball, if they ask him to execute on rollouts, if they ask him to execute on those, on those slants into the zone that we saw all the time last year, he's going to be really good on all that kind of stuff. But A, when the play breaks down and he gets out of the pocket, can he protect himself (laughs) for whenever he does run is big. And then B, if there's guys at his feet, like how many interceptions is he going to throw this year? I firmly expect somewhere around eight or nine. Um, And I feel like Baylor can still get where they want to go if he's throwing eight or nine picks this year. But once you get into that kind of 10 and above range, um, that's where it becomes really a big, a big worry because once you're throwing more than 10 picks in college, that usually means you might have a game with two or three interceptions. And it's hard to win games in college with two or three interceptions. You know, I think Baylor can live with zero to one per game, but two to three is where it gets really, really iffy. I, I, I'd be pretty surprised if he has less than 10 this year. I yeah. mean, I, I'll just be honest. Like, I, I think that he – you – you know, when you're co- coaching quarterbacks, is a lot of like uh, kind of like herding cats a little bit, which is y- you're trying to like shape a player's natural play style into the mechanics of the game and the mechanics of the structure, but you can't change the nature of a QB. I've never seen a coach right. ever do that, to be right. honest. Um, and his nature is, is he thinks he can make that throw. Mm-hmm. And so I just, there are going to be, it's really, in a weird way, this this is going to be a more a, a simpler simpler season for Grimes, and that he's going to have a lot more tools in, in the tool set. But it's going to be a little bit more difficult because I don't think he's going to be able he's not going to be able to rely on the QB to not to govern themselves the way GB was. Mm-hmm. Like GB was actually really good. One of the things he was good at was when they were in a situation where they really needed to avoid a turnover. You know, they're they're in the behind their own twenty, or it's you know. 
50 seconds left in the second quarter and they really want to make sure that they're not turning the ball back over with a certain amount of time like gb was really good about understanding like this is actually not the time to force this play i'll eat this or i'm going to throw it away or i'm going to do whatever um i I don't i don't see anything in shapen's game right now that tells me that he's going to be able to do that well like right now at least to start so i mean it just I would be pretty surprised if there's not at least one game in the first two months where we look up and it's like he had one fumble and three picks and that was a rough game. Like, I just, that seems like we're going to get at least one of those. And I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't have at least 10 picks this season and is significantly better next year. That's yeah. that's my hope, but that's what I would think. Yeah, I mean, and and I think it's worth kind of, uh, you know, before we wrap this discussion up on Shapen, um, you know, we spent probably 75% of the time just now talking kind of about the negatives. And so I, I want to do, you know, yeah. put a positive spin on things here. And, and it's not spin. Like, I think Shapen's a really good quarterback. I think ultimately yes. for this team, he was a better choice than going with Gary as much as we love Gary. Um, and it's because he brings a lot of clear upside. And when we talk about the running backs and wide receivers, we're going to talk more about what Shapen's ability to play out of empty um, brings to this team, um, you know, playing with five wide receivers for the listener. Um, but finally, the last thing I want to say about him is that I love him in this offense um, because I feel like it's, it's like putting a, uh, I feel like the Jeff Grimes offense is like putting guardrails on a wild quarterback. Um, I think we've seen that somewhat with Zach Wilson, um, I'm not an expert on what he's been doing in the NFL and it sounds like hopefully he'll be able to return this year. I know he injured himself the other day, but anyway, um, you know, guys that are gunslingers, I think this offense is really good for them because not every play is an opportunity for the gunsling, you know, 80% of the pass plays this year, they're going to know basically, you know, where the ball's going before it's thrown. It's going to be based on the coverage, you know, or it's a simple rollout where it's like, hey, if the linebacker comes up on on the short option, then, you know, throw the intermediate, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. The question for me is going to be, okay, when is third and eight on these passing downs? You know, how many how many great plays does he make? Because he's going to make some awesome throws. Um, but, you know, what is the ratio of awesome throws to bad throws? So I, I like the aspect that, you know, I really wouldn't like shaping in a kind of wide open always playing out of five and four wide, you know, giving him a ton of possibilities on every play. It's kind of like the Adrian Martinez thing at Nebraska. I think part of why he struggled so much there is because Frost wanted him to be like this Heisman level quarterback that was making the plays all the time. And I really high on Martinez at Kansas State this year because I think it's kind of the similar thing. You know, this is a supremely talented kid, but we've got to put some guardrails on him. And, uh, you know, with a guy like Shapin, I think he's so ultra confident that those guardrails, so to speak, are, are really going to help him execute, you know, find his best possible balance, his optimal balance for taking risks versus um, taking ch- uh, versus st- staying safe. So yeah. um, anything else you want to say about Shapin before we move on? No, just that I, I am excited for him. I, I, I'm, I'm very – we've said it about 65 times, but we're not going to really see much against Albany. Like, we're not – um, I'm very interested to see what he looks like against uh, BYU, and I just that's going to be his really his coming out. Like he played what he played great in the first half before he got banged up against uh, Oklahoma State in the title game, and I'm I'm really interested to see him. Yep. So I, I did think of one last thing I want to say, and and um, I've I've heard from a lot of fans like expecting the offense to look much much different this year, and I I do think that there is a a truth to that. However, kind of like what I was saying, I do think the basics of the offense, like don't expect Baylor to come out and look 
much different than they did last year. I think it's more going to be about certain situations where last year on a third and seven, then maybe they were looking for a four yard gain. So, or so they could set up a fourth and short this year, they're just going to feel pretty comfortable executing drop back passing game situations like that. But I wouldn't expect, you know, the offense to look totally different. You agree there? Yeah, I, I, I would. I think there's a few things that you're not going to call. Like they're not going to run the weed action with, um, shape and where GB, you know, last year they had a play where GB basically followed the, the midline yep. zone where he's following, you know, Abram into the hole. Like they're not going to call that. Like yep. that's going to be a that that's a red zone call and that's it. That's you're never going to say it outside of that. Um, I if you're the two things that I am really interested to see that I think we will. One is going to be an improved screen game. I don't think that that's going to be shape and related. I think that's offensive line related. I, that's not. I mean, it's a screenplay like your quarterback should be able to execute a screenplay. I don't think it was GB last year. I think it was probably offensive line. Uh, one thing, though, that is going to be quarterback related is very, very rarely did Baylor execute a traditional drop back in a standard down situation in 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's second and like seven, if it's a pass play, it's off a of play action. Mm-hmm. And I mean that just that was their entire passing game in mm-hmm. in 2021. I think you I think you will see, and we saw this against Oklahoma State. Um, I think you'll see more drop back on standard downs, like just yeah. old, like honestly, like under center, normal drop back, not out of the pistol. They're just going to drop back and like run four verts on a second and seven sometime with out of twelve. Like that's the type of stuff that we will see more of. And by more, you know, I, I would say like maybe ten times a game. You'll see a drop back pass in a standard down situation that you would not have with with GB, and they're going to try to open up and try to get bigger chunks off of not just the normal play action stuff, but how do we generate those like ten to twenty yard gains out of the passing game on standard downs? Like that was the big missing piece of the offense last year, which was the passing game was either a rollout for a short yardage or it was a bomb up the sidelines or it was a we have to have this and we think we know what the defense is going to call on fourth and six yeah um they're going to they're going to try to they're going to feel more comfortable just dropping back against their expected coverage on standard downs and trying to throw the ball into the middle of the field i think that's going to be the biggest difference in the offense this year is that's going to be a standard part of the game where it wasn't in 2021 do you think that's what ties into the the comments that we've heard from Miranda and Grimes this offseason about you know, they they're kind of bland, but essentially they've through multiple ways said variants of, you know, we loved Gary, the offense was working well with him, but we really feel like basically we needed Blake's arm talent to open up everything we want to do. What does the want to do portion of that sentence mean? <clears throat> So the want to do, I, I think personally, based off their two different games, has to do with their, their confidence in throwing the ball in that intermediate zone between basically, I'd say, like 7 to 20 yards. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, If you look at Baylor's passing game last year, the only time that they went past the 10-yard mark was on an out or on a go route. Those mm-hmm. are the only balls that they threw. They didn't do it. Like, there were no deep digs in yep. 2021. Yep. There were no standard posts. I mean, there were slants, yes, but there was not like the traditional, you know, F post where you're going 12 and going up the field. So uh, to me, what that means is they did not, and I understand for between the offensive line and between what Gary was good at, they didn't feel comfortable executing that drop back game. And it's, it's more difficult to, I think personally, I mean, I'm not an expert in this, but 
if for a few reasons, it's a little more difficult to execute a middle of the field passing game when you're out of play action because your keys just like if you're executing a play action, but you're deploying three guys off the line, like it's pretty obvious what's going on. If you're, if you're a linebacker, you know, it's really hard to give off a run key to a linebacker while executing stuff in the middle of the field. And so it it just, if you're going to do that, you're going to just do more traditional dropback. That doesn't mean it's like a three-step drop and it's out like it's West coast offense, but does that mean it's like, you know, a normal five-step drop and you're doing a two read and then like you're bailing out to your right if it's there like that's the type of stuff that we're going to see and being able to hit in the middle of the field like that forces it it being able to own the middle of the field is really kind of everything in in the modern um in the modern nfl i mean excuse me not in the modern nfl and i think i think that is something that's creeping down from the NFL to college. Everyone talks about the college going up to the NFL today, but I think that's coming down from the NFL into college, which is the best offenses uh, have the ability to to execute well between the numbers. Because if you can execute well between the numbers, like then it just it opens up so much space for both your run and for being able to hit those deep passes. You can't load up and you can be consistent on drives in a way you can't if you're just going on constraint plays and edge plays and up the field. So that's, that's a little bit of a long-winded answer, but that's what I think they're really looking at, which is like, how do we execute a drop back between the numbers between 10 to 20 yards? Because when they can start to do that consistently, and if they can do that consistently out of 12 personnel, I, I mean... That's where you and I like start like breathing heavy. You know? uh, yeah, I mean, like it just, <laughs> you know, people, people should think like, the 49ers offense, no one looks at the 49ers offense because they don't go deep all the time and they don't have the quarterback. And you're like, you know, everyone talks about football dorks talk about the 49ers, the Shanahan offense, like it's, you know, the 67th book book of the Bible. Sorry, we're Protestant on this show. Um, we're Baylor. Sorry, y'all are going to have to deal with it. Um, but, you know, they talk about that offense. And really what that offense does is it's not like hugely explosive all the time. They are just so consistent at just – Every play is like 4, 7, 12, 6, 18, 4, 5. And I mean, it just, it never stops with them because they're so, they have so many keys and so many ways they can basically get your eyes into a wrong spot. Obviously, they can call a game well, but being able to be extraordinarily efficient like that, your offense is just able to kind of go up and down the field and it allows them, the final part of this, it allows them to be multiple against different defensive types. Like, there's not going to be, if this played out, the offense, like if they were able to execute that drop back game against, let's say, Oklahoma State last year, mm. you know, like, I, did they have 50 points in that game? Maybe. And I, I mean that honestly, like the, with the way that, that Oklahoma State was attacking uh, attacking the line of scrimmage and starting from the second quarter on, if they could consistently hit a screenplay, I mean, there would have been probably 21 points just off of screens and you're at, you're at 40. You know what I mean? Like I just, they, there's, if you can do that, you, you're able to, you're basically, whenever the defense tries to walk in on your weakness, you're able to throw your off-speed pitch and that off-speed pitch is going to hit in a way that it just wasn't able to last year. So I, I think it gives them a lot of flexibility um, in terms of, to, to give a little bit more on that and then I'll be done, sorry. But when we talk, when, when coaches talk about scripts, for example, you know, there you get through an initial part of the script. You've gone through the plays that you've run through. The defense is adjusted. We saw this really against Oklahoma State as well mm-hmm. in the Big Twelve title, where they just locked everything down after about the second midway through the second quarter. Yep. Um, 
you've got like you need to be able to pivot to solve what the defense is throwing at you. And I think that by November, it's not going to be early in the season, but I, my hope is that by November, and I really target that West Virginia game because it's going to be after a bye week uh, at the end of October. But by that point in time, that they have enough off-speed pitches, basically that when the once the defense adjusts, they're able to still generate you know another seventeen to twenty-four points off of the script, yeah. which would put them in the mid-thirties, and they're going to win a lot of games. The offense is in the mid-thirties this year. Yeah, I think that title game is great for watching. I know a lot of a lot of fans have said, "Well, it's just about Blake getting hurt in the second half." And obviously, it's it part of it, but it was more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's obviously part a big part of it. Um, but a lot of it too is you watch those opening three or four drives that Baylor had. You know, they're busting out a bunch of new route combinations. Um, and Oklahoma State's defenders, they don't look lost or anything, but it was just the first time they'd seen them. It was different than what they had seen on film. And then in the second half, it's just like Baylor didn't really have any change-ups. So when they're running that same different levels concept that was new for that game, they didn't really have anything else to go to. And I think a big aspect of choosing Shapin after this spring was to allow them to give all summer and all fall ball to make sure that by the time they get to the end of the season, they have a full plethora of different plays and curveballs and change-ups they can they can go off so that they can execute a full game as opposed to just kind of hoping that you get enough points from three or four drives. But, I think that's 100% accurate. Yeah. So um, let's skip over tight ends and, and running backs for now because I want to make sure to talk about wide receivers. We talked a ton about tight ends a few weeks back, and we talked about them in the passing game too. So let's start with wide receiver coaching, Jeff. You know, I've been out at the practices. Um, I'm able to see the first like you know 10 to 15 minutes of practice and I've been kind of interested. I'm like, what are the wide receiver? What is the objective of what you want to do in these wide receiver drills? Right? Because when I watch the linebackers, it's really clear what Ron Roberts wants him to do. He's working on, okay, if the tight end goes this way and the running back goes this way, which gap do you have? And they're just drilling that over and over and over again with different combinations Well, with wide receivers. Every time I glance over there and I'm just like, I don't really know. They're just running around and catching the ball or they're, you know, working on this footwork. You know, it's like, it's like, I don't know. Like, is this not something that they could do on their own time? Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't really mean that, but I think it's worth elucidating. Like, you know, what, it, what makes a great wide receiver coach? What are they trying to execute this off season with a bunch of these young guys? And what do you, what do you think about Dallas Baker? So, yeah, I, full like full open kimono here like i I, i'm a big (laughs) dallas baker fan like i I, he seems um he he just seems awesome and i'll I'll tell like a very small story so um for those that don't know the current head coach at buffalo is uh a former baylor guy uh maurice linguist and i actually had uh, i actually took greek with him back in like 2004 was his study partner so um, I, I'm I am fortunate enough to like have heard a little bit through the grapevine about um, Dallas Baker, and he he's just he just seems like he's the man. Like I, I don't have any professional experience with the man. I don't know. I'm going off of what other people have told me. This isn't to say that Stucky was like bad at his job or anything like that. I don't have any like I don't have any insight on that. But I will say that everything I've heard about Dallas Baker is extremely positive. Um, just seems like he's able to really for wide receiver is a lot of buy-in because particularly at the wide receiver spot. I mean, we we th- like Taekwon last year 
was by far the number one, like the the wide receiver that saw the most looks in the Big 12. Like he got more balls thrown his way than anyone else. Like that's never going to happen again, probably for Baylor. I mean, he had more, he had a higher percentage of throws go his way than Mims did in 2019. I mean, it just, it was like off the charts. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're, you're for a wide receiver, you're going into a game where maybe you might get three to five balls your way for most wide receivers. Like you're going to work this hard for the entire off season to get into a game where you're going to see maybe eight to 12 plays and maybe two balls your way if you're lucky. And so wide receiver coaching at the, at the first and foremost is, is buy-in like in a way that you don't elsewhere, you have to be able to get these guys to work hard for multiple years before they're going to see significant playing time. So, um, I, I, that, that to me is the most important thing is going to be, how do you vibe with your, how do you vibe with your guys? How do you get them to play hard? Um, when it might be two to three years out, Baker seems to be really good at that. Um, past that though, it really is up to the coach on how they really want, what they really want to focus on. You know, some coaches are very concerned with route running. Like that's what they want to drill. They want to drill routes on routes on routes on routes on routes. Some coaches are very interested in drilling, honestly, blocking. Like that was actually something that Art Bryles really worked on and um, they had a very interesting way of coaching wide receivers we don't have to get into but one of the things their wide receivers all did really well was they actually really blocked well when they needed to um they they drilled that and they worked on it uh, some coaches really are interested in body control stuff how do you get your toes you know getting your toes in, being situational awareness body awareness other coaches are really interested in um different types of like working on your catch radius skills and how are you like focusing on that now every coach is going to hit part of those but you can't, particularly at the college level, you can't focus on all of those things. You kind of got to pick an area. I don't know what Dallas Baker is going to um, really focus on. Like that, we just don't know yet. Uh, I will say that from the drills that he we have seen so far, where there looks like they're doing like sixty to seventy percent speed on a lot of their stuff, it seems like they're really working on getting in and out of their breaks. Um, that seems to be what the primary focus is right now is working on that route running, but. Um, you know, it just will, which, which makes will, sense will given how yeah. Baylor's wide receivers really need to be able to run the full route tree. I know yes. every coach is going to say we expect that, but most offenses really don't ask that. Um, and not every position within, not all of Baylor's wide receivers need to be that guy, but they need at least a couple of guys who really can command the full route tree. Yeah. I mean, it, the the best version of this offense is never going to be without two wide receivers. Like I just I, I don't anything that doesn't have an X and a Z on the field is always going to be a little not gimmicky, but you know if you're going to run a heavy twenty one, you're probably doing that because you think you've got a great matchup. Like you're not going to base your offense out of that. And so they they need to they really need I think three they need three guys. They need a true X. They need a Z burner. And then they need someone that can just really nail those under routes that to do more of the slot type work um, as well. And so I just for right now, particularly with younger guys, like younger guys genuinely are really poor route runners because it's just, you know, when you're in high school, you're you're just not going to put a lot of effort in when you can just run past a guy and you're beating him by like seven yards. I mean, these guys are so much better than the guys they're going up against in high school that it's just not you just don't have to work on it. Right. And so that like really good route running and being able to separate off of the break is something that most young wide receivers struggle with. And so my assumption is that's what they're where they're that's what they're going to spend most of their effort on for this for this year particularly. 
Awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just worth kind of setting the stage here. So as you talked about, Tyquan Thornton received the lion shares, the receptions. By the end of the year, Drew Estrada was kind of the clear number two. Um, and yep. by the end of the year is when you really saw Baylor playing out of more 12 personnel with, with Dabney and Sims playing well. Yep. RJ Snead, I still don't really know what happened with him last year. Very bizarre season where he actually accumulated a decent amount of stats and it appeared like sometimes he was playing hard, and but other times it just felt like the fit wasn't right. And it's weird because I, I feel like he would have been a good fit in this offense if he had had ultimate buy-in. And maybe if he had had Dallas Baker as his coach, who, I mean, who knows? This is all just speculation. But anyway, those guys are gone. Uh, those three, it's kind of like the running backs last year, right? Like those three played 98% of the snaps. So, you know, it's hilarious. Like I've been so high on Monterey Baldwin all off season. Uh, but as our mutual friend keeps reminding us, he had one reception last year. Like it's, yep. uh, it's, it's barely anything. I think Hal Presley is probably going to start. I think Josh Cameron's probably going to start. Um, well, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I think Josh Cameron's going to start. I don't know if Hal will, we'll see what happens with Seth Jones. We can get into all these guys, but the point is none of these guys has any experience. Um, my line all off season has been you know, I'm not not concerned. It's, I'm definitely going to be looking at how the rapport between Shapin and his top two to three to four targets builds early in the season because there is a path this year where it just doesn't ever hit and Baylor's ceiling is capped at like eight or nine wins as opposed to 11 or 12. Um, but, you know, my line has basically been they only need two or three guys. They don't need four or five or six. You know, in the – in the um, Oh my gosh, uh, TCU's new coach, Dykes, uh, Sonny Dykes. In the Sonny Dykes offense, you need five, six, seven, <laughs> right? You need those guys to really hit. Um, and so if you were coming back with no experience, I'd be worried in that type of offense. But given Baylor's you know, desire to play out of so much two tight end looks this year and potentially even two running back looks, I think it's really about finding two to three guys. Would, do you agree with that? I think they need, I, honestly, I think they need two and then they need a burner. Right. And if they can get two and a burner, I think they'll be okay. Okay. Now it doesn't mean they're going to be able to dominate, um, but it does. If they can get if they can get two plus a burner, they'll be able to. Like I, I'm, I'm a big enough believer in what they have at tight end this year that I just I don't think they're going to struggle what they would have last year. Honestly, with the tight end, like if the tight end play had been what it was last year, I would be more concerned than I am this year. Right. So if they just they got to get they got to get two plus a burner, I think in the first like four weeks of the season. So let's talk about those roles a little bit more specifically and potentially the guys that could fill them. So I think, you know, there's there's a variety of roles within this offense. Um, they're going to use whoever's best, right? But I think kind of generically, there's three main three main roles. Um, you've already kind of mentioned them. You, you want that boundary X. For fans who don't know, X is just the, you know, the label used generally for the, the receiver. You line up to the shorter side of the field. Generally, these guys need to be able to command the full route tree. But really what you're looking for in these guys is the ability to, to beat press cover to the line of scrimmage, to be big and physical, help in the run game, and to be really kind of nails on all of those short to intermediate routes like slants, digs, um, speed outs. And if that guy can also burn over the top and really you know, destroy you on a nine ball or a seven ball, you know, a, a poster go, you know, gravy um but i think it's really more i think that position is going to be decided by more of those former qualities that it is that i described um is that a, is that an accurate description jeff yeah i think particularly with the x you know there's a it, 
sometimes I think like we, we, we assign these these expectations to different positions with like what 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 everyone wants. But when you're really looking at an X, the two things that really matter are can you win a one on one inside or outside on the outside? And what I mean by that is can you win on an outbreaking route or can you win on an inbreaking route? from that specific position. If you can do that consistently, then you have to cap that guy. Yes. And what capping means is that the safety has to sit over. It doesn't mean it's an active double. Um, it really, the term is bracket, which is you're bracketing him over, you're bracketing him inside, but your ex really has to be able to drive that. Taekwon Thornton, like he wasn't, he's not big, he's not a big contested catch guy, but you have to be able to do that. And if they can find that guy that can win on inside or outside, the size is a plus. It's really nice because being able to do contested catch stuff is yes. being able to have that guy is huge. Like I think the, you know, Baylor got to the sugar bowl in 2019 because Mims was a badass, And like that, 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 that I'm not taking anything away from that overall team, but like when you go back and watch some of those games, like it's literally just, a bunch of guys that are trying their hardest, followed by Mims making an absolutely outrageous play to extend the game or win on third down or to do something. Having those guys that you can anchor against is really invaluable, but what you have to have, really, even more than like having the Mims, is having the guy that can win inside or outside so that you force brackets consistently to that side on passing downs. That opens up the rest of the field. Um, and that so, really yeah. means a guy who can get off the line of scrimmage. That's yes. that's really what yeah. I think about. And it's yeah. really why, you know, Sikkim365 has these uh, views from the Brazos um, practice footage. And the most recent one, I think it's titled Practice 9. I love because we got some good wide receiver um, film. And I just love what I'm seeing from Josh Cameron off the line of scrimmage. Um, he's 6'1", 215, really long arms. Um, and his first five yards, he looks like a four-star prospect. Um, the reason he wasn't a four-star prospect is because his speed is somewhat questionable down the field. However, in this offense where that's kind of the, the afterthought and what they're really looking for is all these attributes I've already described. And when you watch his high school film, he actually has a lot of examples of him winning on speed outs, winning on slants, winning on digs, all of this kind of stuff that is needed in this in this bigger wide receiver position. Or not, like you said, it's not bigger. It's really just a guy who can win inside or outside. Um, I think it's just the ultimate role for him. It, you know, I, I'm not saying it tongue-in-cheek, and I'm not saying just because I'm rooting for the kid, but – when you look at him compared to Armani Winfield, Jalen Ellis, Javon Gibson, um, I think I'm missing another outside receiver out there. But anyway, up against these other guys who are all high three-star, borderline four-star recruits, uh, he looks he looks like the best one of them when it comes to doing all that stuff around the line of scrimmage. And then to boot, he's a great blocker, which I think is going to be really important in this offense. Um, so he's really who I, I think – I feel really good about Monterey Baldwin being the, the burner – um, yeah. And I think he's going to be able to do other stuff in, in the jet game and potentially be pretty good in some of the intermediate stuff as well. And, you know, I don't know whether Josh Cameron's going to become kind of a fringe all big 12 caliber receiver to where, cause I think to get there, he needs to be able to win on posts. He needs to be able to win on the, on the nine route um, down the sideline, make contested catches. But I feel really good about all that stuff. That's, I feel really good about all the stuff that's going to be required for, for Baylor to, be as good as they want to be. I think anything else that kind of comes over the top there is gravy. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and and the nice thing is that you know there's several other options there. Um, 
you know, Armani Winfield is a big time recruit. Uh, he's a similar guy where he's really good at the line of scrimmage. He's just not as big as Josh at this point. So um, I, I'll ask you that because you've seen these guys up close. I have not seen him. Like, how would you compare Armani versus like? I think the two big names that everyone thinks about are Armani and Hal. Like, those mm-hmm. are the ones that everyone's like, you know, when's this guy going to be here? Like, ba- ba- right. you know, we kind of Baylor. We have a little bit of that history. Like, start going back to Kendall Wright of like, we get this like one wide receiver recruit in, and then it's like, oh, this guy's going to be good, and then you know, Kendall hit, and then we had, you know, we kind of kept rolling through those guys. We had uh, Terrence Williams, and we had Corey Coleman, and we had yeah. Katie Cannon. And, like it just kind of goes. Do you see? Not that I'm like asking you to like pick between those two guys, but like when you see those guys yeah. on the line, you see them practicing. What is it that they like? What What is it they do really well right now? Because I don't, I, I couldn't tell you. I really don't know. So Hal is elite as I think he really fits as a field Z receiver. And again, as I talked about with X, X is the moniker for the, the bigger boundary guy. And then Z is kind of the more split out further to the field um, for this wide receiver out there for the listeners. I feel like he is elite at a lot of the skills you want there. And and it's worth elucidating there. You know, what do you want from a Z receiver that's different from the X? It's It's almost like... Would you feel like it's accurate to say, Jeff, it's almost the inverse of everything we talked about at the X, right? You want a guy who can really win at everything kind of intermediate to deep to really force that, you know, that backside safety to honor the deep coverage? Well, it, that's interesting. It really, so from a higher level, it's really kind of offense dependent. Um, so there are going to be lots of offenses where you want your Z to be a bigger guy that uh, can, you know, execute blocks on the line um, that are really good that, you know, it. I think about uh, the off the Cowboys offense under Tony Romo that uh, Terrence Williams played in. He was actually on the field more than the X receiver because he was such a good blocker. Mm. Um, so, you know, it really, the Z position as opposed to the X, everyone kind of knows what they need from the X. It's just a matter of like, what route combinations are you running to generate that effect? But it's still the same thing. From a Z though, it's really dependent on the scheme that you want to run. For Baylor Z, and so like making that difference, for Baylor Z, I actually think it is a little, I think you're correct. I think it's kind of the inverse. You Blocking is nice, but really because they have to be able to hit that deep shot, being able to win on those intermediate to deep routes and being a potentially a burner burner and is is more important than like being able to uh, have really good yak or being a contested t- uh, catch point guy i think for the z so yeah. i think you're right on that but i just wanted to point that out like, i think it is i think that z is more scheme specific than an x is gotcha and and i think that's for baylor's scheme how is that's just a perfect fit for him because you know, you see, like sometimes they, they'll give you the camera review after a big, um, after a big long pass play where it's you know they're really honed in on the wide receiver, and you see that you know at the line of scrimmage there's not a lot of separation. Maybe at 12 yards there's not a lot of separation, but whenever that cut happens at 12 yards where they push towards the post, or whether they push vertical or push on the out route, like all of a sudden just be, because of the way the guy moves, he's able to somehow immediately create two to three yards of separation. That's where Hal is. He's got that. Um, that kind of like a like that slithery snake style bend to his between his torso and his legs to where um, whenever he makes those cuts it's not it's not robotic it's very it's very I mean I just call him I call him like, yeah he's very fluid he's he's a smooth operator um, yeah. and he's able to he's able to get in and out of those cuts like when he moves so if he takes a cornerback twelve yards downfield and then makes the cut on the post he's one of those guys that I think you'll see it's just like how did he get so open even on the video review like only a wide receiver coach would probably be able to tell you like oh here's what he did with his footwork and his body lean and there was no wasted steps and he was just able to blow by him and so I think his role is going to be very important this year as a guy where 
you know, Baylor's going to take a lot more shots on first and 10 this year. Um, yeah. And given that they're probably going to have somebody like Josh Cameron at the X, you know, not a big speed threat. Um, ben Sims and Drake Dabney, as much as we like them, you know, they can push the ball vertical, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not a true not vertical threat. Threats. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I think when we think about the, the overall design of this offense, we're thinking, okay, the safeties are going to have their attention to the middle of the field. Maybe that boundary side safety has to key in on Cameron to prevent him from catching those slants um, and digs. And so if you have that backside Z who can just win on the post or win on that backside dig that's becoming more and more popular in modern offenses or in the ultimate thing with, with how is that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take a genius. Go watch 30 seconds of his high school highlight film. He just owns people at the, at the catch point, just mosses people. Um, which I think Blake is going to be a guy that where if you're able to win at the catch point, like Blake's going to give you some chances. So yeah, he, he, if you can, if you can consistently win, he's just going to throw it up there. And then if you don't get it, he's going to come to the sidelines. He's going to blame you. And I mean that in a good way, but that's, that, that's what receivers want. Like receivers want the chance. They're all extraordinarily confident. All mm-hmm. these guys think that they are the man and you have to think that way in order to, to, to play at this level. So, you know, that's not that's not a negative against them. But, like, yeah, those guys want to play for a QB that's going to throw it up and then come to the sidelines and go, why didn't you catch that as long as it's in range? And and that's that's a good thing that they're going to have that report. But it's a, like Blake is going to give those guys that are good at contested catches a chance to really show this year because it just it seems like he wants to do that. Like, yeah. he wants to give those guys that opportunity. So, yeah. And to briefly compare him to Winfield, I think, honestly, I think Winfield reminds me a lot of just how, probably what Hal looked like a year ago. Um, I think he's just a little bit thinner, uh, probably doesn't have as as big of a comfortability in the offense yet. Uh, I think he's going to play quite a bit this year, but it's probably very much going to be in like the role of, of, you know, for every two possessions Hal gets, maybe, maybe Winfield gets one, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think what you talked about with, that relationship between the quarterback and the receivers is really worth, worth talking about because I think, you know, one of the things that really matters for wide receivers, and this ties back into your discussion with Dallas Baker is that total buy-in and effort capacity. And the idea that you might only play 20 snaps and the ball's only going to come to you maybe three times. There's a lot of just pure effort rely um, that goes into this position. And I think a big benefit of Blake taking these shots, taking these chances and, these receivers knowing that he is capable of making quote unquote, all the throws, it's going to provide a higher, you know, a higher level of effort across the position. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's accurate. All right. Well, let's finish this out by talking about, um, you know, how Baylor might be using more empty formations this year and, you know, empty, we mean five wide. That generally means you, you know, with, with Grimes, that's always going to mean a tight end is still in the game, uh, whether it's one or two. And the running back is still going to be in the game too. So really you're thinking about three receivers, you know, and uh, a running back and a tight end split out. You know, why do you think we're going to see more empty this year? And, you know, because last year we actually saw a decent amount of empty, but it usually just meant GB was either throwing the ball on a very quick read to the short side of the field, or he was running it on like mid zone or something like that. How do you, how do you foresee the offense changing in this direction this year? Um, So something that they did, a decent amount last year was that they would they would bring in attached they would keep an attached Y on the line and basically go they would go five wide but it's not a it's not a true empty and that you would still have an attached Y they usually did that to help with pass protection and also because they were running that 
mid zone so much. That QB draw was really, I mean, we saw that all the time on third and eight. They would go five wide, pause, and he'd go up the middle. Um, but I, this year, there's two things that I think we will see difference. The first one is the wide, the, the wide receivers, I think, are probably a little better suited to a five-out game. A five-out game is you're typically going to do maybe two guys deep and everyone else is going to be like 12 and under. Like you're really, you cannot hold up for very long in a, in, in an empty formation. A lot of double and triple slants, stuff like that. A lot of, yeah, a lot of double and triple slants. And then, um, but they're going to trust, I think they're going to ask Chapin to do more complex reads where it's not, you're asking one, asking him to read one guy and then like choose between two based off of the location of one defender. Like they're going to ask him to read the defense prior with some of the motion that they give him. And then they're going to basically do, you know, have two sides of the field that are probably configured to attack whatever version of the coverage they're expecting. And then he's going to have to pick one of the sides and execute like a layers or a levels concept or on the other side, like there's going to be some zone beater stuff that's more specific to that. Like that we don't, we don't, I mean, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but they will, I think they will ask him to do that more explicitly because empty, if you can hold up an empty, you know, a good QB in empty should be able to consistently net you like seven to 10 yards of play. Because if you're, as long as you have decent players that you're deploying, you can't really hold up against five deployed people for more than about two seconds. I mean, you really can't. So, you know, if you run empty and you can, and you can hold on to the ball for like three seconds, you're going to get through a minimum of three to four reads. And one of those guys is going to be open. Can Baylor run empty and hold up for three to four seconds at a time? I think they can, I, I think they can this year. I really do. I, I think, can they do it now? Can they do it like consistently, consistently? No. Or maybe but against Oklahoma they, state with those edge rushers, maybe not. Yeah. But I mean, like one of the things they can do that I think you will see from them is a, a formation that we will, I bet we see a lot of is I bet we see that. I, I think we're going to see a lot of um, O2 personnel this year, which is really kind of funny to think about, but they're going to run empty with two attached um, wise, basically with two tight ends on the line. And then they're going to chip one of that. They're going to, chip and uh, we don't know who they're going to chip with but basically they'll use that to initiate and to help out with the pass the pass uh protection and they're going to deploy those guys into the middle of the field and it's going to be a five out empty but it's going to be it's going to look a little different um and in terms of the wide receivers we're going to see for that i think one thing i did want to add on i know we were getting ready to wrap up but i think this this rolls into that well you know we talked about with the running backs like you name yourself the starter and I think it's instructive to look at what, again, look at what they did last year with the running backs, which was they didn't know 100% who it was going to be. They knew for sure it was going to be Taekwon. So Taekwon was the X starting from scratch. But they didn't know who the running back was going to be. And so they, you know, they really split carries deeper than we thought they would. I mean, they did that into the Oklahoma State game. They were still doing it. So I think you're going to see something very similar at wide receiver. Like I think we're, I don't think, you know, they're going to have the concept of starters. But I don't think that any fans should probably pay attention to that until maybe the Iowa State or at, at the earliest Iowa State game, maybe not Oklahoma State and probably not what to West Virginia, which is they're going to play just a ton of wide receivers at different positions over the first three to five games. And then they're going to make a decision on like who are the best, who, which of these guys has named themselves the starter for the rest of the year. And I think like that's, that's something we're going to see a lot of is because, you know, I, I think you're right on like where a lot of these guys fit, but also 
I mean, we just don't know what that chemistry is going to be like from them to the to the quarterback yet. So that's that's something that's going to be real interesting to track for sure. You know, something else that I just thought uh, a thought that just came to me here at the end is that the wide receivers' ability to fully step up this year could be pretty crucial to protecting Blake Shapin's health for a couple yes. of reasons. One, it's getting open early so that he doesn't hold on to the ball and get hit or have to scramble outside and get hit. Another reason is if you kind of just start doing, you know, I think one of the best uh, practices to do to learn the game is to start drawing things out and find where the constraint points are. And so if you do that on a kind of very typical basic play for Baylor this year, which like just imagine Baylor's in 12 personnel, so one running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers. You know, for the defense to get numbers in the run game, and as good as we expect expect Baylor's running backs and offensive line and tight ends to be in running this year, you think that defenses probably at least need to be gapped out in order to handle the run game, right? So in that circumstance, Baylor would have seven blockers, which would mean that the defense would probably need to allocate at least eight guys there to really feel comfortable stopping the run. Okay, the defense has eight guys allocated to the run. That means they um, have three, really, for true true coverage pass defenders. So then you look at that X and that Z. You know, if neither of them becomes significant threats, one versus one, if Baylor wants to run the ball, that would mean that they need to get an additional gap in the run game, which you need to do by running the quarterback. And I think Baylor wants to do everything they possibly can this year to not really need to use Blake Shapin on zone read or on any of these other QB run concepts. They would much rather it just be get the extra numbers by threatening things in the past game. You know, whether it's Josh Cameron commanding attention at the X spot or Hal Presley or Winfield or somebody else commanding attention at the Z, those guys' ability to command attentions from the safety. Uh, because like I said, I think we feel very confident in what the run game is going to be. They're probably going to attract the requisite amount of numbers from the defensive front. So it really just becomes there's only so many spots you can play with for gap control. And so the receiver's ability to win there could be massive for protecting shape in this year. Yeah, I, everything you just said, I think, is 100 percent accurate. Um, it's winning. Like He's going to want to hold. He, I, he doesn't have the Charlie Brewer. I'm going to hold on to this ball until I'm going to you know, lose my head to decapitation on a hit. Like he's not that level of, I'm going to hold on to the ball, but he definitely has got a, I need to prove that I am the guy vibe to him, which is, I mean, you want that in a QB. I'm not trying to take that, take the dog out of him, but you know, it's wide receivers, the, the tight end routes that they're going to run are not going to be, it's not going to be like in the NFL, you, you hear commentators say stuff all the time about like tight end is the quarterback's best friend. Like he's the safety valve. He's to get all that stuff out. In the college game, that's really not the case because right. your 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 tight ends just aren't good enough, and so you're asking your tight ends to win typically on down the field routes. Um, so your tight end plays are going to be bigger plays, and so in order to get all that stuff out more quickly, like your your wide receivers are the ones that are going to be practicing like scramble drill. Your tight ends are not going to be particularly good at it. You know what I mean? So they're going to like all of that work that they're going to have to go into. I think there's going to be a lot of. I also think this is true. Like the guys that that might take over the position for 2022 doesn't really mean that those are the guys that are like for sure starters in 2023 as well. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like the, yeah. the stuff they're going to need from the wide receivers this year is going to be different than what they're going to need from the wide receivers next year. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see like a particular set of people that you see starting a lot more this year. And then we're sitting here in 2023 and going, 
well, you know, we thought this, but you know, these high ends are gone. And so now we're looking at a whole different set of guys and we'll see what happens next. So. Yep. Okay. I, I, there's 10 other questions I could think to ask right now, but I want to truly, truly wrap up here uh, for you, Jeff, because of your crazy life. Um, one very quick note, I'll just say before I get into the question, I want to make sure to mention Seth Jones here because he's kind of a total wild card yes. at the receiver position. Um, he had a really great spring game. He was one of the two starting wide receivers, and I heard that he had a terrific scrimmage yesterday as well. He's a kid we've kind of forgotten about, but if you go back and watch his high school highlights, I've, I've compared him to, at the time, I compared him to Tylen Wallace. And I don't know if that's the exact right comp, but I don't really think I was too far off physically. You know, receiver is so much about buying and other things that I think he's been working on as a as a young guy in college. So we'll see whether he can put it together this year. But physically, he pretty much has it all. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him this year. But anyway, to finish, Jeff, let's put a cherry on top here. Let's go base case, best case scenario, worst case scenario, Baylor's passing game this year. What does it look like? Um, okay, so base case, uh, base case. I think we're going to start off. I, I think we're going to see some pretty average to below average wide receiver play until into this, into into October. Um, I, that shouldn't. If you're a fan and you're looking at this like, why aren't the wide receivers there? Just remember they're young, and that's to be expected. Like I would be shocked if these guys come out of the uh, gate gangbusters. Like that's just not how it works. So I, the base case is going to be a lot of stop and go frustration. A lot of, I think miss blocks. You're going to see some wrong routes. I would expect that from the wide receivers to start the year. Um, th after that though, the, what does that evolve into? I think that evolves into a lot of, I think they're going to be, like you said, I think it's going to be short guys that are excel at yak stuff that can help him get the ball out and they're going to rely more on the tight ends for the deeper for a lot of the deeper stuff and then whoever the z is i think i, I do think that's what we're going to see bigger guys that are good blockers they're not going to be able to generate the extra gap like you talked about earlier with without gb on the field this year so i think wide receiver blocking is going to be even more important this year than it was last year mm -hmm. um so it just it kind of leans that way of maybe bigger guys that can win quickly at the line and um are really good at, good at blocking and then being able to kind of execute traditional drop back on standard downs. Like you were always going to see the same set of plays in terms of going on the rail for a deep on a play action shot, uh, deep post and then roll out. Like we're all, that's always going to be there, but the standard stuff of the like under 12 yards on an end route or on a dig, that's the stuff that I, I, I think that that's what they're really going to be looking for. Um, a worst case to me would be, basically that these guys don't develop. I, 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 I'm just not expecting them to be all that good at the start of the year. And that's just, that's just, I want to reiterate that. Like this is what I'm not saying anything negative about these guys. They're all young. Like this is a grown ups football discussion podcast. So we're not saying, you know, that these guys stink or that they're never going to be good, but it's just the reality. Like you have to play the position to get better. Um, Taekwon was not nearly as good in 2019 as he was last year. Right. I mean, he just wasn't. So, um, the worst case for me is that these guys don't develop over the course of the year like we were expecting and that they really don't ever get a consistent wide receiver wide receiver play and that ends up really hampering the offense and you're kind of maxing out at like seven to eight wins. I, I That's not an impossible, but I, I don't say that's like likely, but I also don't think that's impossible either. Like there's a path to that happening, particularly if, you know, one or two guys gets injured or something like that. And you can just, you can see that happening. Best case to me though, is um, 
basically by I'm going to say the middle of October, they've got a they've got a solidified Z and a solidified X. And even if those guys are not as smooth on their uh, route combinations yet, they still are really good at contested catch point stuff. So they can go go up and throw it deep. And they're consistently winning on uh, standard downs, like in the second quarter on second and eight. Like if they can do that, then, you know, I think it's a mid thirties to upper thirties offense. And with where we think the defense is at, that's, that's really exciting. I will say, I'll go back and say this. Like, if you were to say there's always a lot of factors, but what is the most important factor for the difference between Baylor getting eight wins and 11 wins this year? I would say it's the growth of the wide receivers between now and November because they're not going to be able to consistently win big games in November or December um, without without good wide receiver play. Like it's just they'll you can scheme around that earlier in the year, but as teams get better defensively, mm-hmm. think about Baylor last year. Like Baylor's defense got so much better into November. Mm-hmm. So if they're doing like if we expect that from other teams, and I think Oklahoma's a really good example. Like that team's going to get a lot better over the course of the year. I expect they're going to stink in the beginning and get a lot better by November. To win those type of games, they're going to have to have really good wide receiver play by those games because they're not going to be able to keep scheming up stuff like I expect them to be able to do against BYU and kind of get around it, for lack of a better word. Team, like The coaches are too good in this league. They're, they're going to figure that out. So that's that's what I think is going to happen. They're really going to lean on the tight ends earlier in the year, and then if the wide receivers can take that step, it's going to be really fun. But it's also – I mean, these are really young guys. They just – they might not be able to this year. Yeah. And that's that's – I don't think like that's that's kind of an expected case. That's like when I think of why I'm thinking eight to nine wins sometimes, it really does come down to I don't like I'm expecting one of these guys to really make it, but I don't like are are they gonna be able to find three surefire players out of these guys by November? I, I don't know. So we'll see. I think that's where I would disagree with you. Um, and I'll go with this hot take here that when I think about the passing game and Baylor's ceiling, my mind really – maybe we've just kind of gotten far away from it, but my mind really kind of returns to Blake Shapin. Um, yeah. I feel – you know, everything you said about the wide receivers is true, um, but I think even if you're at kind of a below average, you know, on the on the scale of what you expect from the receivers, even if maybe you only have one guy by November that you feel really, really good about, um, I still think Baylor's ceiling for whether they're an eight-win team or, or an eleven-win team this year really comes down to: Did Shapin throw thirteen interceptions or did he throw seven? Um, well, that's why I come back on this because I think like I, I actually expect him to throw thirteen. If you were to say like if you asked me to bet on thirteen or seven, I would say thirteen in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is I don't. He's going to throw. He's going to make throws where the wide receiver is not what is. Uh, not what is as open as they could be mm-hmm. and try to force that in because the wide receiver has not broken open as much as they should. Mm-hmm. And he's still going to be trying to force that ball. And so that's that's why I say like that throw is going to happen whether the guy's open or not with Shapin because he thinks he can make it. And so if the wide receivers are not able to take that step, that's where I see like 13 interceptions because we're looking at that play going – Man, I don't know why he threw that, yeah. and it's because he he trusted that he was going to win more than he knew he actually was open. Well, that'll be interesting. We can save this for our uh, you know ultimate season preview pod. Um, but you know, can you reconcile thirteen interceptions with Baylor making the conference title game this year? Is that can those two things coexist? I oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. So you heard it here. Absolutely. Uh, let's look forward to Jeff um, explaining how so. 
uh, in a week or two here. Um, I think what do we have left, Jeff? One or two more position groups? I think just one more position group, and then I think we're doing a Big 12, and then I think we're doing the official, like, okay, Baylor 2012-like thing. So I think, yeah, we still have secondary to do. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I don't think we're going to pretend that we understand the, the specialty kicking group positions well. So I can do that. Okay. All right. Well, Jeff's committing himself. Uh, we'll see when we record next. But, Jeff, once again, thanks again. Um, until next time, and this was a great discussion. Hey, y'all, this is an addendum just here from Travis. I just wanted to take a few minutes here at the end to talk about a couple of wide receivers and a running back or two that Jeff and I did not have time to discuss at the time, but now that it's afterwards, I just wanted to make sure to you know take some time to discuss them because I think they're going to play roles in the offense, and I didn't want to short-shift anyone. So, you know, Jeff and I mostly talked about – uh, Josh Cameron as a bigger wide receiver, Hal Presley out wide. We talked about Monterey Baldwin inside of the slot. And we talked about the wild card that is Seth Jones, who can kind of play anywhere and everywhere. However, there's a few other guys that I've really got my eyes on as far as wide receivers. And again, this is why I feel so comfortable with this wide receiver room because, you know, it's not it's not five guys vying for three spots. It's like nine guys vying for three spots. And all of them have pretty clear pluses and minuses. And I think in the competition, things are really going to show out in a positive way. So anyway, I already talked about those four. And so I wanted to talk about a few others here. Um, I briefly talked about Armani Winfield um, with Jeff, but I want to talk about him some more. Obviously, he was Baylor's highest rated recruit in this past class. An ultra smooth, crafty route runner. He's like 6'1", 6'2". Um, probably about 200 pounds, not too big yet, but great hands, really, really good route runner. At this time, I don't expect him to start early in the year, but he could be a guy to where if things aren't working out about three, four, five games into the season uh, with the guys who are older than him, then the coaching staff may just say, okay, let's just, let's just give Armani a real full go. Because like I said, I expect him to rotate in some, but he could be a guy to watch for. Like I said, if things aren't working out midseason with – with the guys that are older than him, they might just turn to him and say, okay, the older guys had their chance. Like, let's let's really give Armani a chance to shine here. But at this time, I would, I would expect him to more be a rotational player, maybe like the fifth or sixth wide receiver on the, you know, on the total receptions list. I think he's going to have a role, but guys like Hal Presley and Josh Cameron, I expect to be over him at this time. But all of us is very fluid and can change. And you got to love Baylor signing a recruit as talented as him. He's definitely one of the better wide receiver prospects Baylor has signed in recent memory. Other than Armani, another big guy to keep an eye on is Javon Gibson, who is a redshirt freshman. He was really young for his grade, too, so I I bet he's about the same age as several of the true freshmen that are in his class now. He is a very, very interesting prospect in the sense that he's about 6'2 and a half, 6'3, very long, really long arms, long legs, and he's naturally pretty big, too. I think the thing with him that I'm watching is – a, I know that he has somewhat small hands, and so I think you know reliability and consistency catching the ball. I, I don't know whether that's the case with him or not, like whether he's good or bad in that arena. But with guys who have smaller hands, I always look to see. You know, I always am concerned about inconsistency catching the ball. So that's something he'll need to show the coaching staff, and I'm just not I'm not privy to whether he's great at that or not. And the other thing is, is whenever you have really long legs like he does, and he just he's one of those guys who can 
you know, in his initial five or six steps, he might already be 12 or 13 yards downfield. He just kind of eats up space. And that's an awesome attribute to have as a wide receiver. But my theory on the guys like that is it might take them a little extra time to really craft and learn how to become a great route runner because route running obviously is about kind of maximizing your steps um, and, and being really kind of subtle with your footwork. And I think guys who take big, long strides, it might just take them a little bit longer to understand how to be choppy at the, at the break point. So, you know, that might be the case with him. It might not be, but it, when I watch him in warmups, he looks like a guy who is ultra explosive, really explodes off the line, would immediately be a great deep threat the moment you played him. And in fact, I'd be interested to see him, especially in kind of the four and five wide sets, playing him inside and letting him just burn up field and potentially blow past the safety. But I think how good of a route runner he can become over this fall camp and how reliable his hands are key for him because he's a guy to where if he puts it all together in that arena, I mean, he's just as talented as Hal Presley. He's just as talented as Josh Cameron. He can, you know, definitely vie for a starting spot. No doubt. I mean, I know he's vying for it right now. He could definitely be a starter. So he's another guy to watch for as well. Uh, Another one is Jalen Ellis, who was one of Baylor's highest rated recruits several years ago out of Pflugerville. Um, big time signee. He's been injured a lot over his career out of Pflugerville. He was, or excuse me, I think he might be from Round Rock, my mistake there, but out of Round Rock, he was really just kind of a, you know, I hate to call him a one trick pony, but basically his highlights were just him blowing past people over and over and over and over again, because his speed is just ridiculous. Um, but perhaps what has happened is that he has had to learn how to really command the entire route tree and that with his injury history too has hampered his development in that arena so he's another guy to where it's just it's tough to predict how he'll adjust to having to become a complete wide receiver but he is an option as somebody that you could split out wide in that z receiver role that jeff and i were talking about and really just kind of let him go win intermediate and deep however i think no matter what in this offense you need to be a semi-complete wide receiver so i think for him the the, the question is, you know, we know that you're going to be a big time threat downfield, but can you develop enough of the other skills as well? So that's going to be the key for him this fall camp. And the same thing goes that I said with him, uh, said about Javon, you know, he needs to be reliable catching the ball as well. And another one worth mentioning is true freshman Jordan Neighbors, who many guys have compared to Corey Coleman, including me, because they're basically the exact same size and the exact same type of athlete ultra explosive in a straight line. I mean, just ridiculous broad jumps, verticals, really, really fast in that first 10 yards and has a great top end speed as well. I think he, if he's healthy, is going to be looked at as a kick returner and potentially a punt returner as well. And he's another guy that you could just line up inside and have him really take the cap off the defense, you know, throw it to him if they don't respect him. Otherwise he really clears space for you to work over the, over the middle of the field intermediately. He should be pretty decent on jet sweeps as well, but those are really the other main guys that I'm looking at to contribute this year. Um, I know we briefly mentioned Monterey Baldwin, but I feel really good about his role because he's such a, he's so good with the ball on his hands on these jet sweeps and he should be able to be a speed demon down the field. And if he can really become consistent with his hands, he, he could be somebody that Baylor relies on targeting in these kind of intermediate down situations. So I just wanted to expound a little bit more on the wide receiver room and not only mention three or four guys. So I hope that was helpful. Thanks guys.